Welcome to the Capgemini Salesforce podcast series. This is Andy Forbes with Capgemini America, and I'm talking today to Eric Iverson, a managing solution architect with Capgemini Sweden. Hello, guys. And Matt Prorock, a field service lightning solution architect with Capgemini America. Hey, Andy. How are you? We're going to talk today about technical debt. Matt, let's start with you. What is Salesforce technical debt? Yeah, and so this will be a little bit of kind of my interpretation. So I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you guys think as well. But the way that I think about technical debt is within the context of all of the information that was known at the time, there was an action taken that, you know, some aspect of the technical implementation was done in a suboptimal way. And let me, it, it probably helps to actually give a couple of examples of what I would consider and wouldn't consider technical debt. Um, so, you know, let's say that we'll use a kind of example from development. Um, let's say that I have a project and I need to create a custom field and I don't kind of look at what existing custom fields there might be that I could repurpose either because, you know, I consciously have decided that I don't want to expend the extra effort to do that or because I'm just not aware of or didn't spend the time investigating existing fields. Then I would consider that to be technical debt because the way that it should have been implemented potentially was reuse of an existing field rather than creating something new. And at some point in the future, um, that likely will need to be fixed. On the other hand, let's say that I make a decision to go with an app exchange application or do significant customization in Apex code for a particular feature. And then two years later, Salesforce includes that as a out-of-the-box capability of the platform. I would not consider that to be technical debt because, you know, to my mind, it's still a good decision that was made at the time. And there is some level of kind of ongoing work that needs to be done to support any application as things evolve over time. So, so hopefully that makes sense. But that's kind of how I've always thought about it, at least in my mind. Sure. So, Eric, Matt talked a little bit about what technical debt is. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how it happens? Yes, of course. From my point of view, it's, uh, it's divided into different areas when it comes to the Salesforce platform. So one of the main things I believe it is related to is uh, unknowing, basically unknownness of um, uh, the platform capabilities. Just like uh, Matt talked about, uh, creating unnecessary fields or even setting up custom objects when you can utilize standard ones. One other very important thing I think is uh, inconsistency in your uh, design patterns and patterns in general, as well as uh, inconsistency in business processes. So basically not having a red line of how you are conducting things. You might utilize Apex triggers for some parts of the process automation and in other parts you are uh, utilizing process builders and then you include flows for handling the third part. So mixing different patterns and also 
perhaps the most important thing that I see the most is when you are continuing to build on a poorly designed basis. So that could be code or it could be configuration or even maybe a custom object. But you basically know that you are constructing technical depth without solving it. So you are just adding on to the pile. And I think that's perhaps the thing that I see the most is that you have a poor basis or a basis that you think is good, but isn't following any good, uh, good and uh, aligned patterns. And you are continuing to build on that. So I have a, a question for you, Eric. I'm, I'm curious how you manage that, because it seems to me that in a lot of circumstances, you could end up in a situation where the thinking is kind of, well, I'll, I'll just make a minor modification. It doesn't make sense to completely redo it for just something this small. And then, you know, several years later, potentially, you've done a bunch of minor things. And at that point, you really should have just gone and replaced the whole functionality. How do you kind of manage making the decision of what is and isn't okay to um, kind of build upon what's existing versus completely construct something new? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Uh, and uh, I know that a lot of uh, companies struggle with that as well, when to identify or how to identify it. And I think it comes down to a willingness to change uh, even the things that are working. So, I mean, if as long as you identify it and you see that this minor change in its own is not, uh, not a problem, but you think about long term and you see that, okay, we, we should actually improve this right away, but making that small step, perhaps like it is in the beginning, to rewrite something smaller than rewriting something bigger, but to take that step and really identify it, I think it, it requires a good, um, I mean, good people, of course, to identify that, but also the, the willingness to change something that is actually working and investing in those changes. I think that's the key. Well, and it, it's interesting to listen to the two of you talk because you all are, are more technical. These days, I'm more a project manager. And when someone says to me, how is technical debt created? My answer is, well, the business needs something quickly enough that I don't have time to do it in a technically correct fashion, but rather in an expedient fashion. So it's created because I'm addressing stated needs from the business rather than anything technical. I guess it's all just because we each wear a, a hat of our own. Yeah, exactly. So uh, how is technical debt avoided? So we've, we've talked about what technical debt is. We've talked about how it's created. How do we avoid creating it? Yeah, so I, I'll give a couple examples that, and I'm sure that this isn't the complete list, but these are two things that I personally always make sure that I do that I think could be useful for folks. Uh, the first is on the Salesforce just core capability side. So every time there's a release, I will peruse the release notes. There are also webinars that Salesforce does covering kind of the, the various uh, functions and clouds. So I will listen to the ones that are applicable to the work I do, which is, you know, service cloud communities and, and core platform. A lot of times that is a kind of 
nice way to round out the day. I will kind of do that. So that makes sure that I am always having the latest kind of toolkit of capabilities and know the, the latest and greatest way to implement things. I think this becomes more and more important as you gain more experience because when you first learn it, you're obviously going to learn the latest capabilities. But as your career progresses, you really need to spend the effort to proactively gain new knowledge rather than just relying on what you've always done. Um, the second thing that I do on projects I work on is I make sure I'm reviewing the technical components that we are building and our design with kind of the, the Salesforce COE or solution architect or whatever governance there is at the kind of Salesforce level across projects, right? And so I go through all the stories, I explain what we built, and then I make sure that I'm asking questions about, you know, areas where we maybe implemented something and we want to make sure that's the right way to do it, or the um, there might be feedback from that setting that, oh, this other project is actually implementing this as well. So you can just use the capability that, that they've built, or there might be a standard that is flagged where we've done something in a way that is not aligned with what the overall development standards are, right? So, you know, from my perspective, those are two things that I think will get folks a good amount of the way towards uh, avoiding technical debt and things that I personally uh, ensure that I'm doing whenever I'm, I'm developing. Eric, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, Matt had uh, very good points there. And I, I mean, it, 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 it starts from the beginning, right? Uh, strong patterns, clear design principles, communication between the team members and cross teams, and also to, to build that strong foundation so you can build for the future. And I mean, that take, doing that in the beginning takes time. It takes investments. And... You, you need to, to tackle it from different, different aspects as well, depending on your, let's call it your hat in the project. If you're a project manager or if you're an architect or developer, you have a different, different stakes and different responsibilities, I would say, in a project uh, to handle this. If you are a project manager, you should perhaps allow these maybe not necessarily longer design phases, but having the developers and the architects coming up with the strong foundation that you can build on versus, of course, shipping code, shipping functionality fast in the beginning to show some benefit realization quickly. But I think there are different, different aspects of it that really good and successful teams manage in a, in a very nice way. When there is technical debt, how do you go about remediating it? It's a lot about investment. To, to me, it's all about taking the time and invest in those improvements when things might even be working and it might be working good. But just as we have talked about earlier as well, that Salesforce is constantly re releasing new functionalities, stuff you did uh, 
with custom code uh, a couple of years ago, maybe now is available as standardized configuration and allowing the team to make those modifications and really invest in those changes, I think is a key, uh, key thing to remedy it. And also, of course, to first of all, identify and communicate the business value of solving or remediating the technical debt. Because from a business value, short term, it might not provide any value. You are doing the same thing in the same, uh, with the same response times, perhaps, or the same performance. But the maintainability and, and the st stability of the system increases significantly. But you might not have KPIs for that. So, I mean, tackle it from those aspects. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really what is needed. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what uh, Eric says. And I think, you know, you almost need to bake some level of technical remediation or kind of just technical maintenance into the ongoing support schedule. So, you know, and I won't say that this is something that every kind of Salesforce uh, implementation does or should do. But what I have seen be successful is there will be a dedicated percentage of time for the ongoing kind of maintenance activities that gets dedicated to doing technical effort. So that you build it into your project plan, say, to have one sprint specifically related to technical cleanup activities every you know, quarter or whatever that schedule is, right? But I feel like it has to be part of the ongoing maintenance and not kind of relegated to a second-class citizen that is only done whenever there aren't a lot of enhancements or, or whatever, right? I mean, if you're going to be serious about maintaining a Salesforce instance that is you know, maintainable and scalable, you have to dedicate the the resources to do that on an ongoing and defined basis is my opinion. Well, and it, it's interesting to to hear you talk about tackling technical debt in, a, in an incremental fashion. And I'm not saying I disagree. I will say, however, that uh, I used to work for a firm that about every five years would launch Project Clean Slate, where they would stand up a plain vanilla Salesforce org preserve what they wanted in the existing org, uh, leave everything behind, and then move everybody in the integrations over to the new org. So rather than, than slowing down in their delivery to, to business, it took about five years for the, the, the roosters to come home to roost, if you will, where not addressing technical debt in an ongoing fashion was concerned. And they were willing to pay that so that for four and a half of those years, they could be hyper responsive to the business. And then they just have to suck it up and for half a year, do another clean slate to start the whole cycle over again. So there, I think there are a lot of different ways to address technical debt. You can obviously try to avoid creating it in the first place. Um, you can remediate it incrementally. You can remediate it in, in perhaps a dedicated program iteration occasionally or uh, even something a little bit more drastic than that. This whole conversation, we've been talking about technical debt, though, as being something that's that's bad, that you shouldn't do. And I don't think any of us think that's actually the case. 
So, so Matt, uh, what are your thoughts on when it's appropriate to create technical debt? When do you make the decision on a project that you're going to go ahead and, and create some debt? To your point, there are a lot of considerations that go into this, right? I mean, the ideal way that we would prefer to do a technical implementation, like you resources, money, projects are not fungible. You And you can't just move them around in terms of timelines and staffing and whatnot. So it's sometimes the right decision to kind of build something that you know will need to be remediated at uh, some future point in time. I personally would look to have kind of two pieces in play before I would make a decision to to undertake technical debt. The first would be that I would want to validate that that functionality that I was building the technical debt for was truly critical. Uh, I would want to make sure that I exhausted any other options for um, implementation, uh, you know, whether that's in another system or potentially some kind of manual workaround. So, so I think that's the the first piece for me is validating that we truly can't live without it. And then I think the other thing that you want to understand and get agreement from the stakeholders on is what is the future path for resolving it, right? Like, you know, over the medium to long term, what is the correct way of making the implementation? And then, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that that future project to resolve the technical debt goes ahead. Um, you know, things change in our dynamic, but at the very least, you've kind of been diligent in terms of putting in place a reasonable and more technically sound future state. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, and like we have mentioned a bit before uh, uh, here as well. I mean, it, it depends on uh, on your on your business. Uh, it depends on your specific project. Uh, and I mean, appropriate technical debt can be very different from company to company, and maybe even to from project to project in the same company. To to me, it 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 all boils down to each team needs to really define their capability and mindset around technical depth because what's what's a mine what's maybe not even considered a technical depth for some projects may be a huge technical depth from other projects depending on their willingness to to change it or their capability to change it so th that's a very important thing from me as well to to really see this if you are a very agile team where you are willing like we said in the in the start of this to to change and to change things that are working then i would i would say on a short term technical depth is is fine to uh, to basically incorporate in order to meet the deadlines maybe you need to get your product out in order to to have a, uh, a quicker go to market uh, if you're a startup for example you might consider uh, consider technical depth to be a minor things as long as you modify it later. So different aspects, different capabilities. It's interesting to hear the two of you talk about this because you are bringing a, a technical point of view to this. My opinion as a, primarily a project manager these days is that this is a business decision. 
that my job as a project manager is to make sure that the product owner and that the business understands and participates in the conversation around time to delivery, resources required, and technical debt being created. I, I think one of the challenges that, that we get into is, as people that do Salesforce projects, as people that do IT projects, is we somehow sometimes view this as internal to our project, to our team, when the reality is it isn't. I, I know, uh, Matt, we've had conversations about DevOps. I would view the DevOps as, as an ideal way to address this because the whole point of DevOps is to break down silos, is to pull everybody together and make sure that we're all pushing the wagon in the same direction. And I think that will make it easier for the, the product owner and the business folks to understand all of the levers they can move in order to get what they get, what they want, when they want it. No, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, I, I'm curious about something you said. So was the kind of five-year increments of just basically taking the, the Salesforce instance and creating a new one, was that kind of a planned activity or were you in, okay, so it, it, it wasn't like every five years the Salesforce instance would just break and you'd find yourself in a position where you, you had no choice. That was a conscious decision in order to address business needs as quickly as possible, that there was a significant willingness to favor expediency over longer term technical strategy or vision. The reality is that when you've got billions of dollars a year of sales running through Salesforce, getting a feature into production even two weeks earlier is material. And either you have a very large team in order to do that and not create technical debt, or you simply accumulate the debt. I mean, there's a reason that it's called technical debt. Debt isn't a bad thing. You borrow money to buy a car, you borrow money to buy a house, you borrow against future ability to deliver to get something delivered today. And the, the simple decision was made that rather than, than pay it off incrementally, that we would just go ahead and let the debt build until it was towering over that org. And then it was cheaper overall on a, on a, a long-term strategic vision. It was simply cheaper to stand up a new vanilla org, grab what we still wanted from the old org and start over than to try to fix an org peppered with technical debt. I can actually see how that would be really um, helpful in terms of focusing the minds on, you know, every five years taking stock of not just what's the functionality that we've always had and keep on keeping that because it's always been there. But really, I imagine that helped you a lot to focus to only, you know, the most important capabilities and some of the things that maybe fell by the wayside, you know, they're not supportive anymore whenever you do the new implementation. And it made it very easy to look at all the new features that Salesforce had rolled out. Five years, that's 15 releases. All three of us, I guarantee, have been on projects where we've gotten a user story, we've gone off and built something, and then within a release or two, Salesforce came out with the same feature. And I know that, I think, Matt, it was you earlier in this conversation said, or Eric said, you can't view that as technical debt. Well, maybe you can't, but I promise you the client does when something that you put together that addressed exactly what they asked for is what they've got. And then they read about this 
Salesforce feature that's broader, that does more, and they can't, not only can they not have it, but we tell them we're going to have to first unwind what we did for you before we give you this new feature. I promise you, they think that's technical debt. Then from that perspective, anytime there's a new Salesforce release, potentially a lot of stuff that you have implemented um, is now made obsolete or else there's a better way to do it. So I, I guess that just speaks to even more so the importance of keeping up with the latest um, releases and understanding how it's impacted you. And, and the future roadmap. As a, as a partner, we all work for Capgemini. We have a pretty good view into uh, a, at least a couple of years of what Salesforce is planning on doing. I think that's a big piece of the value we provide. However, I, I believe I'm digressing a little bit from the point of this podcast, which is technical debt. Anything you guys would like to, to share before we wrap this up? Yes, the, the value of learning from technical debt, I think, is, uh, is a very, uh, very uh, very important aspect actually because you are you are without knowing it you are improving your delivery capability as well when you are dealing with mitigating or solving technical debt so i think that's the that's the beauty with salesforce as well that they are releasing so much new functionality and stuff that you built uh, two years ago might be technical debt now and uh, the challenges and uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, uh, the the possibilities with that to constantly improve. I think that's uh, that's what really drives me uh, with Salesforce projects as well. No, I I think that makes sense, um, and. That is, I think, a just general overall point related to a lot of the work that we do is that, you know, everything you should try to learn from previous, you know, potentially mistakes or they could be conscious decisions, right? That, um, you know, maybe there's a, a better way to address it going forward. So I think that's a nice note on which to uh, end this one. Matt, Eric, thank you for your time today. You've been listening to the Capgemini Salesforce podcast series. To learn more about Capgemini and Salesforce, go to www.capgemini.com forward slash partner forward slash Salesforce.